Hello, and welcome to the first episode of a podcast about audio drama and the creative process. I'm W. Keith Timms, writer and podcaster, creator of The Book of Constellations. In this show, I listen to the first episode of an audio drama, then have a discussion with the creators about the show, their methods, their struggles, and successes. Today, we're discussing the first episode of The Luchador, 1,000 Fights of El Fuego Fuerte. In Mexico City, generations of mass wrestlers known as luchadores have been the heroes of the people. From the noble technicos to the cheating rudos, when called upon, these athletic, whip-smart warriors will set aside the rivalries of the ring to keep their city safe from the dangers of this world and beyond. Of all the luchadores of all ages past, none were as brave or as strong as El Fuego Fuerte, the mighty champion of Mexico City. These are his battles. These are the thousand fights of El Fuego Fuerte, the luchador. Set in the world of Mexican professional wrestling, or lucha libre, the Luchador podcast follows the adventures of the mighty champion El Fuego Fuerte as he does battle in and out of the ring with deadly vampires, dangerous mobsters, and the ethical complications of maintaining a rigid moral philosophy. Created by Daniel Valero Fletcher and featuring a Latinx cast, the show combines old-time radio with Mexican wrestling movies of the 60s and 70s. In the first season, El Fuego Fuerte must defend the city and his fellow luchadores, from attacks by Aztec vampire women. I spoke to Dan via Zoom. Tell us a little bit about your backgrounds and how you got started working on this project and how you came to make this show. I am Dan Valero Fletcher. I am a yeah, writer and producer uh, currently living in Austin, Texas, originally from Southern California. Um, I went to film school, have a, a master's degree in screenwriting from Loyola Marymount University out there in L.A., and um, yeah, I uh, after school uh, wound up getting uh, this weird job in tech um, out there in the L.A. tech scene where they needed a bunch of people to sit in a warehouse all day long and watch YouTube videos uh, to monetize them on behalf of the, the film studios. And like I um, was able to turn that into, into kind of a career to, to keep myself going uh, while I, I work on projects on the side. And mm. um, yeah, like created, wrote, produced a, uh, a four episode YouTube series series, like a comedy uh, sitcom kind of thing about ancient Greek gods running a, a tech company. In, uh, <laughs> that sounds great. Uh, it's very fun. It's called The Pantheon. It's on, on YouTube. You can definitely check it out. And okay. It's really cool. And then like, I'm trying to think of what's next. Um, and I got, I've gotten really into just listening to audio dramas. Like I can do that too. Cause like the, the limits of the imagination are uh, quite unfettered in that genre. Yeah. Why luchadors? Um, yeah, so I yeah, yeah grown up in Southern California. Um, I am um, half Mexican. You know, I I grew up watching that stuff. Uh, it was something that was kind of always on the periphery as as a kid. And then you know, like so many people, I got lured into wrestling during the the Attitude era of the of the late '90s, where mm -hmm. um, you know the you know your Stone Cold Steve Austin's, The Rock, all all them were taking off. There were there were some really amazing Latino uh, luchador wrestlers who were who were coming up at the time, like guys like Rey Mysterio. 
stereo, psychosis, super crazy. And it's been something that's always been like a really great anchor for me to my Mexican heritage. Mm-hmm. I, I've seen a lot, a lot of really great, great films that were made in the 60s and 70s. Sort of guys like uh, El Santo, Blue Demon, Bill Mascaras. Just something about it just felt like very appropriate for the audio format, like kind of tying it together with like old school radio shows. Like it, it, it both kind of had that like intimacy and sincerity to it while also being kind of kind of big and genre in a way that's just really, really crunchy and fun that kind of fits my vibe. You know, I was listening to your show and I was reminded a little bit of. I don't know, like the shadow where you've got these characters, which are larger than life. They're almost like superheroes. Certainly there have been old time radio shows about the shadow or the Lone Ranger or, you know, other people who were larger than life. And so I can, I can see where you're going with that. I want to clarify right from the start, pro wrestling is not really in my normal wheelhouse. So I'm going to rely on you to help guide me through here a bit, but I'm, I'm going to age myself a bit here. When I was growing up, it was Hulk Hogan. You could not escape that. Even if you weren't like a wrestling fan, you couldn't escape that being in the culture. I'm aware of it, but it's not something that I spent a lot of time with. Tell me in your own words, how do you describe your show? What is this show? What does it mean to you? It is that connection to my heritage, um, something that Gaza, as, as someone who like kind of grew up between two cultures, has always kind of wrestled with. And uh, uh, no pun intended. And, uh, <laughs> the idea of like taking, you know, the, the larger life aspect of it, I, I did want to subvert that a little bit um, in the show as you watch. It's like, you know, on, on one level, definitely on the service level, it's uh, it is this kind of big supernatural battle between wrestlers and, and ancient Aztec monsters. But the protagonist, El Fuego Fuerte, who is this this kind of um, Hulk Hogan type mm-hmm. on the exterior, has has a lot of inner uh, turmoil that he's going through. It's, it's like kind of the, the idea of passing, which I, I think a lot of people um, kind of go through, uh, depending on their backgrounds, where it's it's like, you know, how, how the world sees me versus how I feel inside and, mm. and having those dichotomies balance out um, is kind of his journey and learning to accept that his imperfections and his individual failures do not reflect on him as a complete human underneath the, the superhero perspective. I think that meshes nicely with a, a genre that specifically wears masks, right? Exactly. Um, it's the, what, you know, what do you show to the world and the expectations that come from the image that you project? I did get a bit of that subversion that you're going for, I think. Wrestling has always been really over the top, and it can be silly sometimes, and it can be dramatic sometimes, but it is very larger than life, energetic. I think I really enjoyed the parts of your episode where it's like we imagine this enormous man wearing this colorful mask, and he's having dinner, and he's just doing like ordinary things while he's still wearing this persona everywhere he goes. That's kind of funny, but it also does humanize him a bit. Oh, yeah, yeah. It's it's all about the humanization. Like, it's not like I definitely don't think of this as a parody at all or, right. or a spoof. Right. In any ways, like like it, it it is it is definitely humorous, and there are very very intentional um, absurdities that we like to highlight. But it, but it's all done with with a perspective of great affection. You talk about like the imagination of it, where it's like yeah, you like you know we we really cement like through our narration like the the visuals of what you're going on, which are these huge epic things. But it has this intimacy of you know you might even be wearing headphones while you listen to this, and so it's it's you're you're really up close to something that's big and broad, and I think that 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 has a really nice push and pull to it. 
so you talked a bit about your connection uh, to your your heritage. Is there something that drove you to tell this story now? Mm, that's a good question. Yeah, it was. So yeah, this all this all started pre-pandemic. I, I think lo- logistics uh, were were part of it, and. Um, which, which is not not a very artful answer. But, well, <laughs> it's true, right? Yeah, but it, it, it's but yeah, it, you know, like like I talked about, I did the, um, the the web series, which is something that that we were able to pull off uh, with a lot of production value for not a lot of cash due to some some really lucky circumstances that we were at. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I thought like, how do I you know create more lucky circumstances for myself? Pretty much everything I write does tend to have these kind of big sweeping overtones. If we try to make this this audio drama as a TV show or a movie or something, oh my god, it'd be like 150 million dollars. And just on costumes alone, I'm exactly, sure. exactly. A lot, a lot, a lot of capes, a lot of tights. Uh, that, that lycra just adds up. That's right. Um, but yeah, like, and, and it was just like, yeah, what, what, what can I do? I can do this for myself. And, you know, it's, it's one of those things if, if, you know, just writing something for myself, something that like just appeals to my, to my weird little interest, like, you know, these, these old luchador films, which, you know, there, there are a couple folks out there who keep a torch alive for them. I, that, my, 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 my dream for this whole thing is for Guillermo del Toro to, to listen to this podcast. <laughs> he's, a, he's a big fan. Yeah. I'm, I, I, you know what? I think that would be amazing to see that wrestling is a very visual event, right? How do you approach writing something that has a sort of very visual component to it for an audio medium? When you watch a lot of wrestling, you also listen to a lot of wrestling because, you know, the the commentators, whether it's, mm-hmm. you know, Gorilla Monsoon or Jim Ross or uh, Joey Styles, whoever, so much of the storytelling of wrestling goes to the announcers who exist, you know, primarily in an audio medium. And so yeah. they're they're responsible for telling for translating kind of these these visuals that you're seeing into the story that, you know, at its best, um, the wrestlers are trying to convey. That was the way into it. So like how like if I were a wrestling announcer trying to tell the story of this match to somebody who's on the radio, like how would I go about doing that? If you'd be so accommodating as to let me inside, we can discuss things in privacy. Sure. Right this way. Just watch your step. As Fuego Fuerte crosses the threshold, Lobo Sangre wallops the champion from behind, catching Fuerte off guard. A blow from behind? Cowardly. A true rudo like the man before you. Glad you finally dropped the phony pleasantries. Take your stance, Fuego Fuerte. Let's see what your championship medal is made of. Ha! Having no choice but to protect himself, Fuego Fuerte locks up with Lobo Sangre. Each man's muscles strain as they grapple for favorable positioning. Tranquilo, Lobo. Now is not the time for this nonsense. I do not wish to fight you. That is only because you cannot stand to lose. You know, I'm thinking of like people who call baseball games, for example. It's not just a recitation of this happened and this happened. But, you know, I'm thinking of wrestling announcers who make commentary like he's got him where he wants him or there's no way that he can escape from this now. They're adding commentary, which describes the emotional state of the events. And and I think the listeners then attach to that. And that really conjures something in our minds. Exactly. 
if you watched a lot of wrestling, um, you know, they always talk about like the best wrestlers have a lot of psychology to their matches. You mm. know, like an, e- an easy example is, you know, um, if, you, if you're a submission specialist, you will target a body part, like, you know, working over someone, someone's leg or their or their arms. And then over the course of the match, you can, you know, track how that progress is, is affecting things. So like maybe their opponent always relies on lifting them over their head to, to do a big move. But if you've been working over their shoulder the whole match, then they try to go lift the person and they, they fail and they drop them. We've kind of told this really simple story across the way. And the, the announcers there in the audio medium are there to remind you if, if you're, you know, like half watching it while you're doing the dishes or whatever. <laughs> right. the, 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 this this is the story we're, we're going through where, you know, stories like, you know, plucky underdogs, unstoppable monsters. There's a hundred different ways into it. And so much of, of is, is listening and being keyed into the story as much as it is. The, the visuals of actually watching big meaty people slapping each other around. <laughs> well, I remember maybe I'm I don't know if I, who this was, but I remember vaguely there was some wrestler that suddenly did some sort of hypnotic snake like thing with his hand. And all of a sudden, the other the other wrestlers just standing there transfixed. And it was mostly the announcers who were like, oh, no, he's doing his hypnosis move. How is he going to escape? You know, so in other words, the audience just may be going, what's going on? But if the announcer tells us what's happening and then we we know how to react. Exactly. Yeah, I think that, that was uh, Santino Morella might be who you're. Oh, OK. <laughs> see. All right. There you go. <laughs> 1,000 Fights of El Fuego Fuerte. There is a, this, the first episode is about Aztec vampire women. Have you thought in, about this in terms of like a season? What's your storytelling and narrative process for this? Yeah, we're definitely going for a traditional um, serial approach. Um, kind of like, uh, you know, no, no, no one's alive to remember these, but like, you know, the original like 1930s, 1940s serials that kind of inspired Indiana Jones and, um, and, and Batman and, and things like that, where it's kind of short bites that tell kind of one arc of a story. So like this first story of, you know, Fuego Fuerte contra los Mujeres Vampiras is uh, five episodes. And I mean, that's going to be one complete story. So, you know, you'll be able to have a satisfying beginning, satisfying ending. And then, you know, like all like all great heroes, you know, there, there are more adventures to be had. We're deep in pre-production on season two right now, uh, which is going to be a wholly different story. I'm not a, gotcha. not a vampire in sight. <laughs> and I assume that there will be recurring characters besides El Fuego Fuerte. There'll be some some folks returning. Some folks don't like, you know, uh, Indiana Jones, big, big influence sure. on me. Like, you know, there, there's always that great thing where, you know, some character will show up. It's like, oh, Indy, we've been friends for, for so many years. And so so great to see you again but you've never seen them in a previous movie before. <laughs> exactly but, yes but we will but there will be characters from this arc coming back but the idea is you can step into season two not having uh, listened to season one which which is my reaction to like a lot of the you know the amazing podcasts out there but they have like you know 300 episodes and i'm like oh my gosh where do i begin and one of the things that i noticed uh, i believe you were doing intentionally in the first episode you spend a lot of time for people like me who know very little about the luchador customs and traditions and so forth, where you actually spell out a lot of things that that maybe I need to know. You sort of do a little bit of handholding, I think. Absolutely. Like, you know, our, our goal is was to have, you know, two potential audiences for um, for this project, you know, one being folks who like wrestling, listen to a lot of wrestling podcasts and maybe have never looked into audio fiction at all or audio dramas. 
And then on the other hand, folks who are coming from the audio drama space, who've listened to a lot of audio dramas, but maybe have never um, looked into wrestling that much. And we wanted to make sure both groups were equally attended to. Um, so like if you've watched a lot of wrestling, there's a lot of fun Easter eggs and stuff that you'll enjoy. And if you haven't, we really spell things out for you. And the other the other benefit of it is, you know, we establish the rules of our world and then we can work really firmly inside them. So, um, you know, if, if we get something uh, wrong, which I'm sure we have at some point, um, you know, we can say like, well, these are these these are the luchador rules for our world, even if they're not the ones that are currently being used in, right. you know, CMLL or AAA Mexico right now. Did you choose this particular plot because you thought you might have new listeners who maybe didn't know what was going on? Uh, is there something particular about this story that you wanted to start with? I love like, you know, Mesoamerican iconography and mythology. Um I thought that the Aztec flavor of Vampire the Siwatateo uh, in this season is uh, fits this really nice niche where it's something a little familiar as a vampire, but has a, you know a different spin to it. Mm-hmm. And um, I, I thought it's it's a, and it's a really interesting thing. Just like just again like put the visuals you create in your mind of like you know like these big beefy dudes in tights against you know the these very strong but like you know maybe emaciated or kind of snarling you know it's the whole uh, you know, Marvel Cinematic Universe trope of like you always have your character face like an evil version of themselves in the first season, in the first right. encounter, which <laughs> see, it gets gets a little boring after a while. That's right, we're from the land of the dead. <laughs> Two of the vampires pounce on El Arbol, extending their knife-like fangs. What are you doing? Get off of me! Still, we're aiming for the perfect bite. Get back! Your wiles won't work on me. That's fine. We're after only the strongest warrior. Globo, what are you doing? Get back here! Save me! It is too late for you. I have my own neck to think about. Coward! There seems to me to be a lot of mythology in Lucha Libre. Not just in terms of good versus evil, because there certainly seems to be very black and white kind of lines. Like there are good guys and there are bad guys and there's very little in between. But there's also there's like a history. You talk about how Loa Sangri uh, acquired his mask, which means he acquired the persona. Right. So that the 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 idea is that the the, the persona lives in the mask itself, which is a very mythological kind of idea. What are your thoughts about this mythology that exists in a Lucha Libre uh, and your approach to bringing that out in these stories? It is a uh, a very true to life aspect of uh, the Lucha Libre culture. You know, like there 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 are wrestlers out there who were the fourth or fifth incarnation of uh, the the original person who wore the mask. It builds this mythology. It builds this idea of it's like who who are you? Am I the individual? Am I my parents? Am I my family? Am I my job? All all these roles that we put on ourselves. The you know these these masks. There's both comfort and danger in tying your personality to pre-existing format, which I, I think is a really cool space to kind of explore uh, both in this season and as we go along. And same thing with, yeah. like, you know, the idea like you're heal your Rudo, face Technico. What does that even mean? Like, if you think you're a bad person and you do something good, does that mean you're a good person? If you're a good person, does something bad? Does that mean you're a bad person? Like, the ways we, we define ourselves uh, is, is 
basically what the whole show is about. Yeah. Um, and then also vampires. And also vampires. When you set things up, you start the, the episode and you tell the listener about how the, the luchadors, well, they fight each other in the ring, but but when it comes to the world, to the city they live in, they will unite to fight whatever the danger is. I mean, they're, they're, they're very much like, like I said, superheroes or protective spirits or something like that. And then you juxtapose that. Um, all the the officials like the police and the mayor they're kind of buffoonish they're they're kind of ineffective meaning that the luchadors are the ones the people turn to is that part of the lucha libre culture yeah absolutely especially looking back at like the the, the classic lucha libre films like like el santo el santo what uh, was like the biggest cultural icon in mexico for a time <clears throat> talk about the rock stone cold steve austin john cena you know these guys are, are big as wrestlers but el santo was Superman. He was Batman. He was the complete representation of what a hero with a capital H is in the in the Mexican psyche. Um, you know, he was he was buried in his mask. He literally lived and died by it. I forget, I forget the, the person's name who wore the mask, but it doesn't matter because like he was El Santo. Mm, and right. so in the culture itself, like obviously I'm sure nowadays, like all wrestling, people know it's it's for entertainment first. But definitely back in the day, like the line between what happened in the ring and what happened outside of the ring was a lot blurrier if not non-existent you've had some wrestling special guests on your show is that right yeah we got some really amazing folks who are willing to come in and uh, lend their voices lend their performances to the show we have folks from aew um former uh, wwe guys uh ecw Danhausen, effie colt cabana luchasaurus raven um and 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 others and uh, it, it's really cool and, and, and definitely something that it was like a little a little treat we could give to wrestling fans to come in and like hear some of their their favorite guys and and women, all of them really knocked it out of the park. And it's it's been really fun to listen to. And they were all just a delight to work with. I'm curious as to how they reacted to your pitch and then, you know, being on the show. Yeah, like they, you know, we had, we had, we reached out to some other folks who were a little like, wait, wait what are you guys doing? Right. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, for the most part, like these guys were really happy to be able to work a role and to, to express themselves creatively without having to throw themselves into a pile of barbed wire and thumbtacks. <laughs> um, but yeah, no, they like really took like it to a fish to water and we all took direction really well. Um, I, I, I think just in, in your life as a professional wrestler, like you kind of show up on the day and get handed a, a piece of paper and say, like, here's your part, here's what we're doing, um, just roll with it. And so I think there's a lot of uh, improvisational skills that um, that really shown through for, um, for a lot of these folks in their performances. Yes. Well, I don't want to say anything too controversial, but that does sound like an actor's life, right? You know, that... <laughs> That uh, that's what you do if you're an actor is, you know, you you take your job and you, you're handed a script and, and you you use your improv skills as necessary and so forth. Ooh, yeah. yeah. Well, I'll, I'll, I'll say controversially, <laughs> uh, oddly so uh, in the uh, but not not because it shouldn't be controversial is, you yeah, know, wrestlers are actors and uh, they should all be in <laughs> yeah. SAG and have health insurance. <laughs> you know, I hadn't actually thought about that. I was not aware that that was that was the case. Wrestlers aren't in SAG. 
No, they, yeah, they have no union, no protections. Um, even the the biggest names out there who work for for World Wrestling Entertainment WWE like are independent contractors. Wow, and they're they're required to pay for their own travel, their own health insurance. Um, it's it's pretty buck wild. Um, the major competitor uh, AEW is better in that like they yes they are independent contractors, but they are truly independent contractors where they're allowed to go do outside projects uh, like the Luchador and. Um, take what they build in AEW and and bring it with them along or to the rest of the world and um you know kind of build equity in themselves which is good. Looking back on what you've done in the past month or so, all right, month and a half, right? How do you feel about how things are going? Things are, are going really well. Like our, our numbers are are really good. Um so so we're told from uh, <laughs> for folks we know who who've worked on other on other audio projects. It's been really great. The response has been universally positive, which I, I am shocked by. Even some of the stodgiest wrestling fans have, have come around. It's been really, really cool and very rewarding. So what do you struggle with, creatively speaking? It's part of the creative life is is having enough time in the day, having you know, uh, keeping the the oil and the lamp burning uh, is always a big thing because you have to wear so many hats as a as an independent creator. Like I, you know, there there are other folks on our team who are with us, but you know, we're all doing it um, as as a labor of love. And yeah, and so it, it's kind of keeping that going. It's like, oh, you know, do we want to you know spend more time um, getting our our merch store up and running? Is that is that what we want to do, or, or you know, do we want to um, you know chip away at some more some more scenes for season two getting that writing done um you know do we like oh we maybe we should start a patreon and uh, release the side content yeah it's that that's really the difficulty and then like the the actual creation of it is the is is a joy you know being able to to, to break those hard story decisions kind of figure out like you know what stories do we want to tell like where is fuego forte's head at any given moment in a, in a scene in an in an arc where do you get your ideas for your stories? You know, it's it's uh, it's misremembering things is really all it is. That, that's all creativity is. It's like taking all the events of our lives, jumbling them up in our heads and then spitting them out in, in, in different ways. And so, like, it's kind of tracking my cultural journey, getting in contact with my past, you know, just little little Wikipedia dives about like some weird, you know, Mexican cryptid that I just learned about. My favorite foods, my favorite wrestling matches, some weird bit of wrestling history that that i read about all all that just gets kind of stirred up in a in a big pot of cosmic gumbo and just kind of comes out is that what keeps you motivated um yeah yeah because like because basically it's it's gotta come out it's gotta you know well creativity you know we're just streaming into a void like trying to trying to like see like you know like i spent all my time doing all this like just kind of holding it out in your hands and everybody's like is this something did i do something yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's, uh, that's the goal and and you know and and the great thing is you know and and the great experience we've had with this podcast so far is people are like yeah this is a thing this is it i'm great literally i just saw one tweet that someone put up that was like man i'm having a super rough day but I saw a new episode of Luchador dropped. Like, I'm going to listen to it and hope my day turns around. And I found him. I was like, oh, oh, I'm so sorry to hear that. Hope, like, hope it helped. And they're like, yeah, it did. And like, just, yeah. just, just in, the, in this really small way, like, that's, that's all we're doing. Just like making just some, some rando person's day just a little bit better. Like, man, that's, that's all you could really ask for. Yeah. So is that how you measure success? 
Yeah, I mean, definitely not not in terms of like kind of metrics or dollars or anything like that. Like, you know, we we definitely wanted like our goal with this first season just to, just to get it out there, just to see whether or not people connected with it. Uh, it's like so growing up in Southern California, my first job was at Disneyland, so I'm a big Disney nerd in a lot of ways. And something that Walt Disney always said is like, you know, every everything we make just needs to make enough money so we can make the next thing. Mm. And that's that's really the goal. Like the you know the the true success. I to to measure it is like can we keep making this like whether it's simply just the the feedback we get the the emotional feedback we get from folks like gives us the energy to go on if we can someday you know find a, a platform or something that would would support us financially to keep it going but like it's uh, it's it's the feedback loop as long as that loop feels connected do you have any advice for people who want to create audio drama yeah definitely my my biggest advice as as a creator and as someone who listens to a lot is find your story find find your your angle to it because like we definitely don't need another another audio drama of someone of some journalist who stumbles upon a spooky town and is recording into their tape recorder the whole time about the the spooky stuff they see which, which is fine like you know it was it was a great starting point for the genre and i'm sure someone will will come along to to reinvigorate it but as a as a medium uh, more than a genre like you know there there are so many opportunities with it and you know a lot of folks are afraid like is there a limit to what kind of stories we can tell um, in this space and I, I i think it's limitless truly is there anything else that you'd like to say if you listen to this before December 8th, uh, we are doing a giveaway in conjunction with our first season where uh, each episode you listen to at the very end. So, you know, five episodes, you have five chances to win. Uh, listen to the very end of the episode for the secret word of the week. And you can email that word in um, to uh, giveaway at the luchadorpod.com. There'll be instructions there. Um, email it in to win um, tickets to go see the next AEW wrestling pay-per-view live and in person. Singer for it say, I'm as serious as can be when I say that you're a testament to all that is so great about this city. Your athleticism, your charity work, that incident you had to handle with the strange lights coming out of the sewers. May I ask, what drives a man to keep so busy? What gets a man to put that mask on every morning? Who says I ever take the mask off? <laughs> I'm serious. You're a hero. An icon, a champion. How many victories until it's enough? See, that's the thing about being champion, Mayor. If you lose, even once, you're not a campeon anymore. Filled with over-the-top adventure and larger-than-life characters, the Luchador podcast will appeal to wrestling fans and audio drama listeners who enjoy flamboyant action. But the show also explores questions of identity, of morality, and what it means to be a hero in a world where good and evil seem so clear-cut, but choices are often not. The Luchador, 1,000 Fights of El Fuego Fuerte, is available on most major podcast platforms, or see our show notes for more information. The first episode of is written and produced by W. Keith Timms. All opinions expressed in this show belong to the people who expressed them, and not necessarily to anyone else. The theme song is Mockingbird by David Mumford. The show's webpage is thefirstepisodeof.com. If you're an audio drama creator and would like to be on the show, send an email to thefirstepisodeof at gmail.com. If you like down-to-earth sci-fi audio drama, check out my show, The Book of Constellations, wherever you get your podcasts. Keep telling stories. It's the only way we're going to get out of this mess. Until next time. <laughs>